question how many of you could raise your hand like hi if your testimony is that God has been faithful to you see it oh. praise his name just wait wait sorry one more time can you raise your hand again if you were just raised your hand that God's been faithful to you can those in the front just turn and look can you just look around while you still your hands still high can everybody look look how faithful God is all these believers have testimonies of God's faith. And I don't know what it is. Well, I know what, part, what it is for some of you. Maybe it's what we just sang, that your mourning has been turned to praise. Maybe it's that you had a financial need that God wowed you with and provided your every need. Maybe he's just been good to you. Maybe it's that you lived in a life of darkness and because of hope in Jesus Christ, he has saved you and delivered you from that. Regardless of what it is, and we could go on and on, God is faithful and many, if not most of you, testified to that this morning. And so I want to challenge you, okay? We're going to sing this next song. And if you just raised your hand that God's been faithful to you, I want you to raise it at some point in this song because that's all it is. That's what it is. It's a raised hand. It's I'm going to lay down my pride and I'm going to show the world that God's, I know you're laughing at me. It's okay. God has been good and he's been faithful and he is worthy of this. If this stretches you, this is fine too. This is fine, right? But God is faithful regardless of how we might feel about, about that, okay? We're going to sing this song. Um, and, and, if, and if you were maybe part of that, that your hand was hesitant, maybe you're walking through something where you're like, where is God? Is he going to show up? Every single one that has raised their hand has been there too and has wondered and has questioned and has pleaded and longed for him to show his faithfulness. And it might be in a minute and it might be in an hour and it might be in a, in a year, but he always shows his faithfulness to those he loves. And that's you this morning. So let's see. Great is thy faithfulness, O oh God, my Father. 
Lord's Prayer. It's a great way for us to start today. Jesus instructs us to lift up his hallowed name. How great he is this morning. Let's just continue to just spend some time with him. Share our hearts with him. Say, listen to him today as we go to him in prayer this morning. Father, sometimes the English language or the language, the words we use fall short when it comes to describing who you are. Even if that song is new to us, the sentiment is not. Yet great still seems to fall a little short. Thank you, Father, today for your faithfulness. Even when life is rough or doesn't go the way we'd planned or compared to earthly measures perhaps falls short of what our neighbor's lives or homes or situations or jobs or family might look like, you're still involved in ours. You walk with us. You know us by name, even the hairs on our head, Father. That's how intimately and how deeply you care. How do we describe such greatness? How do we describe a love so deep? When our words fail us, Lord, all we have to give you is our worship and ourselves. Thanks, Father, seems inadequate. And Lord, in this season of Thanksgiving, where we're reminded of, of how grateful, Lord, we should be, help us not to be distracted this morning by the things that await us this week. Perhaps there's travel for some, perhaps getting ready for company, Lord, for others. Trying to figure out what to make for dinner, what recipe to use. We're even wondering where dinner might come from. Worrying about if there's going to be enough room, Lord, in, in our homes or at the table, or if there's going to be perhaps someone missing that's been with us in the past. So much these seasons bring out in us. Lord, all of them, though, Father, I pray, whether they be difficult memories or challenging moments or joyful occasions, or, or, or times of reunion, whatever they might be. Father, I pray that we would see you in them and be reminded of your faithfulness and shout out those words, how great is our God. We pray for those, Lord, today that are grieving. During these seasons, I am drawn to, to their hearts and what they're experiencing. Draw them close. I pray, Lord, for the one who's uncertain about their tomorrows, whether it be a physical need or a financial need or a relational need. Father, there's just something in, in them that's broken, that's not where it should be, and it's, it's creating some anxiety and stress and some worry. I just pray that you would step into those opportunities and prove yourself faithful yet again. I pray, Lord, you show us something new about yourself, about your character, about who you are. Help us to continue to discover you in new and fresh ways. Lift those up, Father, who are tired and weary. Give them rest. Life-giving rest. Father, I pray that we as a church would continue to just point others back to you. Through our praises, through our testimonies, reminding, Lord, them of your faithfulness in their own lives. 
so that we could be a people that continue to gather together. And the words of those songs that we've sang today would, would just ring so true. How great is our God. Lord, we thank you for the chance to gather here this morning. For, for those that have chosen to come to worship you. You, Father, are the audience this morning. We are the worshipers. Receive our offerings today, Lord, I pray. Change us, Lord. Our time in your presence should result in a change in our hearts and our spirit. We open up your word. May it not be in vain. May it penetrate dry and thirsty souls. Change us. Move us, God, I pray. All for your glory. In Jesus' name. We do hope that you will, are able to plan to join with us tonight. Looking forward to just sharing just a time of thanksgiving with our faith family. We will be sharing a communion together this evening. That will be part of our, of, our, of our meal together. And I, I do want to encourage you, if, if, if it hasn't already been shared, you know, hopefully later this week you'll get to sit with the, your family and your friends and those that you know, right? And and, and while that could be a wonderful thing, uh, I just want to stretch us a little bit tonight. Maybe encourage you to sit with someone you don't know. Have some new conversations. Get to know a new name. Uh, that could be a little intimidating. I get it. Uh, but it also could be very refreshing and exciting to, to get to know some new faces. Uh, in my family, uh, for us to split up, uh, we, we take up a table and a half you know, if we're all here. Uh, so, so splitting us up could, could be fun. My wife and I, we'll, we'll, we'll draw lots this afternoon to see who gets what kid. But we'll figure that part out. Uh, but we just want to continue to get to know you. And, and if you're new with us, uh, we, we hope that you'll join us tonight, 5 o'clock. Um, if, if you don't have any details, just show up at this point. We're, that we're just going to trust that there's going to be enough mashed potatoes and gravy to go around. And if there's not, I could stand to give up my plate so you're not going to hurt anybody's feelings. We just want you to come and just experience and enjoy time together as a, as a family of God, as a faith family with, one of, to, to, with each other. So I'm looking forward to spending some time with you this evening and, and sharing in communion as we enter into this uh, reminder of all that we have to be thankful for. Also want us to uh, be reminded that next Sunday, I know it's only been shared, we will have a church vote uh, following our church meeting last week. If you have more details or questions about that, please see one of the staff after services. We can get that information for you. Uh, that'll be available following each of the morning services next Sunday. So um, all of that uh, helps us or is helping prepare us, if you will, to continue to be good stewards. And we've been talking about stewardship this month of November, uh, of being a steward, uh, being a manager, if you will, of, of one's finances and property or, or affairs. And in our context, we've been talking about being a good steward of God's resources, uh, of his affairs of all the things that he owns, of his property. And since he is the creator of all things, we read back in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created. God, God made it. He's the creator. It belongs to him. Uh, but he entrusts us to be stewards over the things that he's created. And we, we've gone a little bit different direction with this conversation. We read in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, where Paul begins to explain to us why this idea of stewardship matters why it's important to us in his, in his letter to the church in Ephesus, when Paul writes, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power 
together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how high, how wide, and how long, and how deep the love of Christ. To know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I believe that thanksgiving, that being thankful, is found in one's relationship with God through Christ. And if we don't have that part right, then being thankful people truly does become a measure of more or less in our lives. In this conversation we've been having these last three weeks, these principles of giving really truly become principles of living or of being as we try to live out our faith, to live out our relationship with God. We started three weeks ago talking about this idea of ownership, how God owns it. I was reminded this week in Acts chapter 5, there's a story of Ananias and Sapphira. The Holy Spirit has come, the, the, the church has been born. Uh, the, 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 those who are believers in Christ are, are selling property. They're coming together. They're, they're pulling all of their resources so that they can support one another and begin to build this thing called church that, that helps others come to know who Jesus Christ is and why he came. Ananias and Sapphira have this piece of property. They decide amongst themselves to go and sell it. They sell the property and they go to give the gift and they know together that they've, that they've conspired, if you will, to keep part of it back for themselves. They present the gift. It's quickly revealed it's not all of the gift. And Ananias is condemned, not because he kept some of it back, because he lied about it. It's a question of ownership. He wasn't willing to give it all. It, it, it wasn't a problem that if he wanted to keep some of it, but he lied about it. So much so that he immediately fell over and died. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying if you don't give your tithe, you're going to fall over like Ananias did. The idea goes back to ownership. How tightly do we hold on to the things of this world? And in a sense, it does lead to a sort of spiritual death if we're not careful. If we, if we give God some but not all, it, Satan has us right where he wants us because there's this reality of not releasing it means that we're still holding on to it for ourselves. Sapphira, his wife, would come in a few moments later and she would repeat the same story and she would experience the same fate. The ownership matters. Recognizing where it comes from, of whose it is. Psalm 24, verse 1, we shared a few weeks ago, the earth is the Lord and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, meaning people. As we are stewards of stuff, or we're stewards of a message, we're stewards of one another. Thus the importance of the Great Commission to go into all the world to make disciples, followers of Jesus. We're stewards of people. We then uh, talked about Waldo Weening's levels of giving, meaning uh, the first level being you have to, it's the law, you're, you're expected to. Uh, the second level is obligation, why well, should, so I'm going to, and we want to grow to the place where we get to the third level of giving, that of I want to. That's an expression of grace in our lives. Ownership led to our conversation last Sunday on worship. If, if we don't recognize that God owns it, and we think that we want to hold on to some of it, then we start to have this conflict in our spirit in regards to worship. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, we shared last week, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. It's God's. It's set apart for him. It, it, it's, it's a part of our worship. It's a central part uh, of our encountering and approaching God is this, what are we bringing to him? 
Sometimes we, we bring stuff, sometimes we bring money, sometimes we bring ourselves. But we come to him, he's the object of our worship. If we're holding anything back, here's the truth for us today. All of us are worshipers. All of us worship something. We either worship God, we worship ourselves. It's the truth. There, there, there is no middle ground, there's no time for us to do both. It's either all or nothing. We come to worship him with nothing held back. A few months ago, we in our baggage series, we talked about how Jacob learned to worship with open hands. In Genesis chapter 4, we shared last week how Cain brought some of his fruits as an offering to God. Well, Abel, his brother, brought his first and his best. How Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, coming after his father Ahaz, restored worship, recognizing that part of worship was giving God their first. And in so doing, the people under Hezekiah's reign discovered that while before there was not enough, now there was a surplus. That's how God's math works. This sets the table, literally speaking, for us today as we discuss this third principle, of, of, of this third practice, if you will, of, of giving and why it matters. Because all of these principles together help us to truly live a thankful life. A life that's filled to the measure of the fullness of God. That third principle is the idea of blessing. A blessing is a word that often in our culture and even in our churches to some degree is, is, is largely misunderstood. We pray for blessings. We ask God that would, would, would bless our families. And we ask God that he would bless others. We might send a card. We write, God bless you. Or, or you might, in our prayers, ask for blessings in different ways. When someone sneezes, we say, God bless you. And so this idea of blessing, we kind of throw it around without understanding what it means biblically. And, and before we get a little bit too deep into that, we're going to be reading out of the book of Malachi today. And in Malachi, we're going to be introduced to this idea of blessing and, and what really God wants us to take away from this principle of giving and why it matters to us. Now, the context of Malachi, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. He's considered a minor prophet, although anyone who would give a prophecy to the Lord is not minor, but, but in, in that he's minor in the sense that it's only four chapters in his writings, in his, his word from the Lord for the people. And Malachi's writing to a culture that has become lukewarm. Um, there's some complaints, but not like those that came before them. Uh, there's some action, uh, but, but not open-handed worship, so to speak. Uh, you know, they're not doing like Ahaz was and sacrificing his children to false gods. Uh, they're not closing the doors of the temple. They're, they're kind of going through the motions, if you will. They're, 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 there's just enough faith for them to get comfortable, but not enough faith to be life-sustaining, to be life-changing, or to be fruitful. What we discover in Malachi's day is that lukewarm is a very dangerous place to be when it comes to one's spirituality. That truth is still impactful and meaningful for us today. Being lukewarm in one's faith is still a dangerous place to be. Going through the motions. In Malachi's day, the people kept their faith, but lost contact with God. Malachi was the last prophetic voice. After the word of the Lord came through his prophet Malachi, there would be 400 years of silence. I find that interesting. There was a lot of evil seasons prior to Malachi's prophecy. Now, there, were, there was times of 
of exile. There was times of being taken away from Jerusalem and then brought back. There was times that we talked about through King Ahaz's reign where they worshipped other gods and, and, and there were altars and Asherah poles and places of worship all throughout Israel and, and Judah and Jerusalem. And this wasn't quite that season. So God would choose this season after which to get quiet. I think that speaks to the importance of us not becoming lukewarm us maintaining our connection with God and being useful and being fruitful. We read Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. Malachi kind of gets to the heart of what's happening to the people. And in Malachi chapter 3, he's, he's repeating the words of the Lord. He says, well, I'm going to send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come from his temple, and the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And what we're seeing in Malachi chapter 3 is this foretelling of the coming of Christ. And what is about to come? Because the people now are lukewarm in their faith. They're not really doing a whole lot. They're not really incredibly evil compared to measures of the past. But they're really not on fire at the same time. And they just become complacent. And this isn't where God wants them or wants us to be. He goes on to talk about enduring and talking about judgment. And, and in verse 6, says, I, the Lord, do not change. I am the same. What changes is my people. And in verse 7, we read, ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and not kept them. And at the same time, while we see the word decrees, what God's really saying is you've turned away from me. Return to me, God says, and I will return to you. It's a simple solution. Return to me. Come back. Turn around. We know in the New Testament the idea of turning around is represented in the word that we call repentance. Return to me, God says. Just come back. Then Malachi takes this idea of returning and gets really to the heart of the matter of what's causing this issue in, in, the, in the lives of the people in this day. God says, well, you, you ask, how are we to return? In verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. And what God is trying to say is that it's not that I need your money, but the money is kind of where you're now finding your comfort. And until you return to me and start following my decrees and let go of those things which now have hold of you, you can't fully grab hold of me. Verse 10, Malachi, repeating the words of the Lord, says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there might be food in my house. Test me in this, the Lord Almighty says, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. One of the few times in Scripture where God encourages us to test him. Test me, he says. I, I, I will show myself. I have shown myself. I'll continue to show myself faithful. I will throw open the floodgates. If you ever, see, We've all seen viral videos of, of, of the, that happening, just this rushing water, the torrents. It's unstoppable. When, when the floodgates open, the, the power of the water that comes behind it. I, I grew up in West Virginia. Uh, we, we have a campground there in Summersville. If you've ever been to Summersville, there's a lake, man-made lake there called Summersville Lake, and, and there's a dam, Summersville Dam. 
And there, you can drive down like below the dam, and they've got these giant holes where like, all the water of the lake comes through. And the water comes out of that hole from like with such force, you've got to stay back from it. It would just it would just blow you away if you were to stand in front of that water. But they can close those holes as well, let the volume of the lake stay high. Um, but every spring when it's time to go whitewater rafting, they'll open those things up so the water runs quickly for the rafters. There's such power when the floodgates are open. God is saying, you, you've been living life in such a way that I've got them closed right now. The way that opens it easy, just return to me, he says. Come back. Now, this is not about the weans have to rule. This is not about the law. This is about their attitude towards God. It's not about sticking a coin in the vending machine and hoping that God will then open up the gates. They just become so casual in their faith. We're going to come back to Malachi next Sunday as he's kind of setting the table for us as we enter into the Advent season. But So I don't want to get too deeply into Malachi, but what he's challenging us to do this morning is to give it back to God. Let go of that which has hold of us and be blessed. A blessing can be, and, and it has become confusing. We often look at the idea of blessing with tangible or with measurable means. This is how we think. But God tends to think much deeper. Matthew chapter 5, a whole other sermon series, we find the Beatitudes as Jesus is sharing his Sermon on the Mount. Uh, these blessed are statements that Jesus makes. And all of Jesus' blessing statements, they're all spiritual. They all speak to our relationship with God and then with others through Jesus Christ. To the measurable blessings that we tend to count in our lives, they're intended to pull us into a relationship where we then discover and realize the true blessings that God has for us. If we just stop at the measurable part of it, then we miss something pretty significant. Luke chapter 6, verse 38, there's this verse. It's often been a confusing verse to me, but then when you understand the context, you kind of get what Jesus is trying to say. Similar to what we read about in, in, in Malachi uh, chapter 3, verse 10, about the floodgates being open and, and not having enough room to store the blessings that God pour out, Jesus gives his teaching in Luke chapter 6, where he says, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And here we begin to see Jesus. He's not talking about an ATM that's spitting out money. Now, there's a time I went to Chuck E. Cheese once with my kids, and uh, that's got to, those, those days, uh, I'm not sure where they rank in my, my, my parental um, hierarchy of memories, but sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not so good, sometimes you still have lingering headaches, sometimes you really enjoy the moment. But in this particular day, you go to Chuck E. Cheese, you play these games, you earn tickets, and the kids get like, so excited about their tickets, and they go up to spend their tickets, and they get these little pieces of, of junk toys or candy that don't last until you get outside in the parking lot. But there's a kid who this day hit the jackpot. There was a game he was playing that was broken. He played the game, and that thing started spitting out tickets and spitting out tickets, and it didn't stop spitting out tickets. And this kid's like, look what I got. And the tickets just kept coming and coming and coming, and he's just growling, and it's just a big old pile of tickets, and they're just everywhere. And he couldn't wait to go cash in his tickets until the employee came and turned off the game. Stopped the flow, if you will. That kid didn't care. He was holding all these immeasurable blessings. It was just overflowing. He didn't know what to do with it. It was so cool. And he went and cashed in all of his tickets, and he got a pack of gum. <laughs> I don't know what he got out of those tickets, but it really wasn't as much as we might think. 
But I think what God has for us is, is we stand before the game and it just keeps spitting out the tickets. We tend to ask for blessings in this small, finite way of thinking, as if it's something, Lord, if you just do this, I'll count myself blessed in this measurable sense. And God's like, why do you stop there? I've got so much more for you. You're measuring it with the wrong ruler. I look at blessing differently. I've got a jackpot for you that you can't even begin to count. Now what Jesus is saying, and I think some of you will probably get this. Uh, this is kind of farm language, if you will. A good measure, picture this basket of, of flour or, or corn or wheat or what, whatever you want in there. And if you're going to go buy the just, I'm going to just go buy a bushel of corn, you want to make sure that that bushel is filled to the max, right? What Jesus is saying is this is a good measure. It's pressed down. It's shaken together so there's no air bubbles in there. There's no pockets. We're filling that bushel with as much corn as we possibly can. And it's going to be shaken and pressed down. You're getting a real good value worth because you've got this basket that's just overflowing and full. Jesus is saying, if you just give, what's going to be given back to you is this measure that is running over. More than what should be in there. It's just going to come pouring out. We get ready to sit down for good meals this week, I hope. Uh, there, there, there's, I was reminded of a restaurant I like to go to. I don't go very often. Um, but it, I don't even tell you, I won't tell you the name of it. But it's a place you kind of go through and, and first you pick out your own food and you, you take it to this big round grill and then they kind of grill it for you. But, but you, you, you pay by the bowl. So you get this bowl. And whatever you can fit in that bowl is what they're going to cook for your meal. But I've gotten smart. And I don't like a lot of vegetables in my bowl. But I like the long vegetables I can stick on the sides of the bowl to make my bowl a little bit taller. And then and I stick the stuff inside first that kind of lays flat on the bottom. And then at the end, then you put all that stuff there. Then you get to the, the meat. You get to the steak. And they've got the good meats part of this. I put them on the tops where they're kind of heaping over. So I'm getting the full measure of, of my bowl. When I get done, I've got my money's worth overflowing so much so that I've got to take it home. I now get to have the leftovers. Instead of giving God the leftovers, what God is telling us is, I'm going to give you so much, you're not going to know what to do with it. It's going to overflow into your laps. Then Jesus says, for the measure you use, the measure you use, that's what we measured to you. I don't want to restrict God and the blessings that he gives to me and my family. So I need to look at it the way that he's taught me to look at it. I need to look at blessing the way that Jesus teaches us to. That's where we find the jackpot. That's where we begin to experience the riches that God tells us that he has for us. That may not be measured in dollars and cents or silver and gold or in acreage or in stuff or in cars or in titles and deeds. The measures that God has for us might look very different, but are worth so much more. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, and we've shared this passage of, uh, in, in pieces over these last couple weeks, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We go from Malachi's teaching in the Old Testament to Jesus' teaching in the Gospels to now to Paul's teaching in his epistles. He says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. 
Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And I think what we see in Paul's writing to the church in Corinth so many hundreds of years later is the same message that Malachi had for God's people 400 years before the coming of Christ. You're reaping sparingly because you're giving sparingly. You're kind of casual about your faith. You're kind of content with where you are. But God has so much for you if you would just let go the things that keep you bound. In Malachi's day, people did just enough to feel okay. They had this different measure, and they were content with where they were, but they were missing out on the full blessing of God. They, they weren't measuring their lives and they weren't, weren't even approaching the fullness that God had for them. They were lukewarm. And Paul comes and shares, if, if we don't want to be like that. We, we, we've seen how that ends up. But the church in Corinth had, had already slipped into a similar place as the people in Jerusalem of Malachi's day. We, we've talked about how the, God had come, or the church in Jerusalem was needing some help and and Paul was reaching out to the different churches he'd planted, and the church in Corinth was a church of means. that they, they had the money, they had the resources, but they were slow to respond. But the church in Macedonia, they, while they were poor and they were oppressed, were very anxious and quick to respond to the need. Paul's saying, you guys have got to let go. You're holding on to things. You're, you're measuring wrong. You're off a little bit. And while you're comfortable, it's a dangerous place to be. We see in Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, he says, remember this. You know it to be true. You've forgotten. We're going to be reminded tonight as we remember this, remember what Jesus Christ has done for us so that we don't forget, so that we don't become lukewarm in our faith. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Paul continues, he doesn't stop. In verse 7, each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give. Worship is an act of the heart. It's, it's, a, it's a free gift that we give. You, you don't give reluctantly, but also you're not pressured into it. You give what the Spirit leads you to give. But know that what you give is going to have a direct impact on what we receive. We want the overflowing basket. Is that the measure which we hope that God responds to us? Or are we going to pinch the pennies? Think about the things that we can buy. Think about the things that we're missing in our life that maybe God might hold back. Verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you. Then all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. When grace enters the conversation, now we start to get to the heart of thanksgiving. The true understanding of what is it God wants to do in and through us. In verse 10, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store, your store of seed, will enlarge the harvest. You like that idea, don't you? You'll increase the store of your seed, enlarging the harvest. And often we stop right there. Yes, God, that's what I want you to do. Increase the store of seed and enlarge the harvest in my life. And if we were stopped right there, maybe that's a, a realistic expectation, a realistic takeaway. But that's not where Paul starts, starts, stops writing. He'll enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Different measure. He, God, will supply and increase and enlarge the harvest. 
And if we're looking at it from earthly terms, we might think, yes, this is the part where I give and God enlarges all the things in my life that I have determined that I need and want. But that's not what Paul says. He will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. And here Paul connects the dots back to what it really means to be blessed. You keep reading verse 11. Paul writes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Paul writes, you will be. It's not you may be. You will be. Enriched in every way, not simply tangibly. That's the least of God's concerns. That's what he uses to get our attention Enriched so that we then can be generous. And here we see the principle, blessed people bless people. We are blessed by, by the hands of God so that we could be a blessing to others. God gives to us so that we then could become giving people. Your generosity, Paul writes, will result in thanksgiving to God. Go back to verse 10. We'll enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Our righteousness is measured in how we love other people and how we're introducing them to who Jesus is. So now verse 11 makes more sense. Our generosity results in a thanksgiving to God, not just our thanksgiving, but the thanksgiving of those who have yet come to know who he is. Now we begin to see how the principles of giving wrap together with this idea of, of being a people who practice being um, grateful and have this principle of gratitude lived out in our lives and how that overflows this idea of grace. And we're going to see how God puts these complex ideas together in such a way that it grows his kingdom, makes a difference in the lives of others, and it's a cycle that repeats itself. And we find ourselves right in the middle of it. Your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That word thanksgiving that Paul uses in this letter to the Corinthians is eucharistia. And eucharistia is a Greek word simply meaning thanksgiving. But from eucharistia, out of, eucharistia comes from a Greek word called eucharisteo. And we'll talk more about eucharisteo tonight. I shared with you about eucharisteo last week, this Greek word meaning thanksgiving. In the middle of eucharisteo, we find another word called charis. And charis comes from another word called uh, kara. And those words together, inside of thanksgiving, we find this beautiful thing called grace. And that's where the principles bring us. The obedience, ownership, surrender, worship, comprehending God's blessing. It's not about us or what's in our bank accounts or what's in our wallets. It's not about what we own or the deeds that we possess or the titles that we have on our hand. Those are simply tools that we can express and live out the righteousness of God so that others may come to know who he is and experience his grace. So that eucharisteo becomes a reality in the lives of those that we meet, that we get to live life with, that we get to teach who Jesus is. It's always been just a tool. Just been a resource at God's disposal to help others come to know who he is. When we have that understanding, when we practice that, we stop being lukewarm. We start being used by God. 
We become part of the harvest with this righteousness that is poured out so that others may come to truly give him thanks. Here we find the secret ingredient to receiving, to recognizing, to experiencing the how that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We just become part of the process. We become an ingredient that God uses in, in, in the making of the secret dish, if you will. And we find that grandma and our teachers were always right. There's power in saying please and thank you. Words that truly are, in a sense, magical. They reveal so much more about who we are and about whose we are. It's all been about fullness, thankfulness. And, and thankfulness this week is not a time to, to eat a meal and sit down on the couch and to loosen our belts. But rather, it's a time to recognize that we're filled for a reason. I'll close with this today. Paul continues in verses 12 through 15. He says, this service that you perform is not only for supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, for your generosity in sharing them with and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Grace. Funny how often in God's word we end up grace. We start talking about giving, tithing, stewardship, and we end up at grace. We talk about being thankful, of being filled with the full measure of God, and we end up at grace. Isn't that amazing how this whole book is about God's grace? He loves us that much. It's a message that never fades, never goes away. Let me jump back to Ephesians 3, verse 18. And with this, I promise we'll close. Paul writes that in, in verse 18 that we would grasp how wide and how deep and how high and how long the love of Christ. The word grasp, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the Greek because, well, it would, well, how would you know the difference? But anyway, I'm not going to say it anyway. It, it, it speaks to laying hold of that we make it our own, to take possession of. And we can't grasp the love of Christ while still holding tightly the treasures of this world. To truly grab hold of what God has for us, we've got to let go. Conversational fullness of thanksgiving, it doesn't allow us to hold on to the things of this world. God is offering us something of immeasurable value. It's right in front of us for those who just would simply reach out and grab hold of it, own it. Then we as a people can be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I invite you to stand with me, and we're just we're going to pray, and we're going to close today. And that's our challenge this morning. If you're holding on to something that's not of what God has for us, then we need to let go. If you're clinging to the things of this world and God's encouraging, imploring us to let go, 
so that we could seize, so we could take possession of, we could make our own this love that is so deep that leads to the fullness of God. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Stories we've heard before, verses that we're, we're familiar with today perhaps, and uh, but maybe, Lord, also an opportunity to ask ourselves, are we lukewarm? Are we like the people in Malachi's day? Are we like the church in Corinth, Father? Have we become content or complacent? Or are we pursuing uh, the, these earthly jackpots, if you will, Lord, these, these treasure moments, those things that are measurable, things we can count? Uh, that tends to be how our minds work. It's difficult for us to wrap our, our, our thinking around this idea that you offer us something that might be immeasurable. That, Lord, you extend blessings in, in the midst of a relationship with you that is different than the way the world counts its blessings. Lord, in those letting go moments, those reaching for the things that you have us, have for us, Lord, it's in those moments, Lord, that we truly grasp the things that last, the things that matter. So, Father, today I pray if there would be some who have not yet grabbed hold of the love you have for them, they would surrender what's in the way. They just reach their hands out for you. For those, Lord, that are seeking earthly blessings, missing the blessing that you have given, that you have poured out to them already, that they're already overflowing, Lord, I pray that we pause and stop, consider the ruler, the measure in which we've been living life. We could recognize and see all that you're doing for us. And for those, Lord, who have already received your grace, to live in it every day, to understand, Lord, what it means to be full, to the full measure of God. I pray now, Lord, we would be people that would take that into our communities, into our families, Lord, and we would share that grace with others. Because at the end of the day, that's what it's all about, growing your kingdom. So that others may also give thanks. Lord, we love you today. I thank you for this season that we're in, this opportunity, Lord, that we have to understand what it means to be thankful. Thank you for your grace. Your immeasurable, amazing, life-changing, matchless grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.